I didn't even know we had a harpsichord. Did you? <laughs> Feels a little dark up here, Wayne. I might wonder if I'm lit up. Anyway, let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for bringing us once again, for bringing us together into your household of faith, the very body of Christ. May the body of Christ function as it should today, exalting Christ, loving one another, proclaiming your gospel, submitting our minds and ways to the teaching of your word. May you be blessed by our manner of coming together as we have been and will be blessed by your presence with us. We, we pray that you will have been shown to teach the teacher today and give the hearers discernment to hold on to what is good uh, for the blessing of each and for the blessing of all together. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as we came into this year, I wanted us to pay special attention to this letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, uh, because of the theme of the church is so strong in the letter. Uh, and I've come, over the years, I've come to believe that, that the church, the, the, just the church overall, just the church in America, just, you know, the, the, uh, the church as we, as we experience it in all kinds of places uh, is uh, broadly... Uh, misunderstood and underappreciated in our in our generation it's just a generational thing with us that we don't have a that we we don't have a uh, a real strong view of what the church is a lot of christians don't as we've the, the church in the west has gradually adopted a, a business and marketing model you know our, our approach is business and marketing and individual Christians have responded to the presentation and pitch of the church just like you would any business with a presentation and a pitch. You know, it's the, that's the way the church has tended to present itself, and that's the way you respond to it. You know, you just people think, well, what does any particular church have to offer? Does it fit my needs? Uh, do I like it? Do I like the music? Do I enjoy being there? Even sometimes, is it fun? Is it fun? Uh, how do uh, how does it come out on a basic cost benefit analysis? Just like you're thinking about whether you whether you're going to go to Applebee's or not. You know, just how does it come out? Do I want it? Do they have what I like? Is it worth it? Uh, so is is it come? How does it come out today? Is it worth the time and the effort to go today? Or or does something else fit us better today? Um, so. The church has come to be broadly viewed as, as a mere provider of spiritual gifts and services, maybe even religious, uh, or not spiritual gifts, rather, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself, uh, just goods and services, a provider of services. And for some of those, you know, they just look at it as a provider of, of spiritual services, uh, uh, spiritual benefits. And, uh, and for some people, those might well be gained by other means you might you know, just get those same things elsewhere you can get good sermons on the internet i listen to them all the time lots of really really good sermons on the internet we can we can get the we can get the worship function with the radio we listen to christian worship music on the radio and we praise and sing some you know some people do praise and sing in their car and as they drive now they uh fellowship they, the fellowship function you got christian friends at work that you talk with and sit with and talk about biblical things and spiritual things so you know you might well get the functions all the functions of the 
of the church elsewhere and you're good and you're good to go. But the church is more than a provider of religious or spiritual goods and services. It's even more than the sum of its parts. It really is. It's more than, you know, it's more than just a collection of people. When the people come together, it becomes something else and something more. Uh, it becomes something holy. It becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Lord manifests His presence in a special way, in a different way than, than the way He manifests His presence when you are with Him alone, which is good, which is good. But where two or three are gathered together, something else, it's something different. It's something different. It's something more. Uh, God does not see, essentially, a room uh, full of individuals. He sees, right now, looking at us, He sees one. He sees you, too, and He sees you individually. He knows your needs. He knows everything about you. He knows what you want. He's, he's intimately acquainted with everything. But He also sees one thing here. His church, the body, the body of Christ, a temple made with living stones, yes, but a temple. And it's this thing is precious to Him, and it's holy to Him, and it should be to us. The believers at Corinth, while their specific issues tended to be different from ours, you know, we read things about church, it's hard for us to identify with some of these things. But their issues were different than ours. But they also had a very, had a weak, certainly among the churches of the New Testament, they had a weak ecclesiology. They had a weak uh, idea and doctrine of the church. Their approach was, very much like it is today, very commonly, what's in it for me? And what's in it for me today? Uh, they, they had a very weak sense or even no sense uh, that the things that they did, and we see this through the letter, we've seen it already so far, that the things that they did and the things that they said in the context of the church, you know, that their manner of attending or even not attending the church, their, the nature of their relationships with each other within the church, their pursuit of holiness or their support of the pursuit of holiness in others, they had a very weak sense or no sense that that, those things, affected for good or for ill the life and character of the church, this thing that is holy and precious and important to God. And some of them were defiling this holy thing you know, by all of that stuff, by the things that they said, by the things that they did, by the thing, the way that they related to others within the church, by the, by their whole approach to it, you know, their whole "what's in it for me" approach. The whole, some of them were defiling this holy thing, and some were really, we read between the lines, were really working to destroy this holy thing without even realizing what they were doing. Hence, First Corinthians. <laughs> 
so with this emphasis, I mean, that was what I was thinking going into the year. You know, we're not going to, I said, we're not going to be 1 Corinthians all the time, every time. We not, might not slog through every verse, and we might do other things. But that was the emphasis uh, that I saw in 1 Corinthians and why in these first few months of 2017. And with that as the emphasis, isn't it something that our church should enter such a significant trial at the same time? Isn't that something? And the trial, of course, I'm talking about is the uncertainty, to say the least, of my health uh, going forward. You know, here we are, we're talking about the church and what it is and what it should be. And, and uh, you know, what's, what's going to happen to this church? Uh, what's going to happen to this church? If and when, if and when, I'm not able to function as the pastor. Some churches have been through so many pastoral staff changes they can do it without skipping a beat. That's not us. It's going to be a new thing for us if, if it comes. Well, if it comes, if and when it comes. Or if or when it comes. It'll be a new thing. The church started in Robin's and my living room. And I was the church planting pastor. And we're almost 26 years in as an incorporated church. And so we're in a new place. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a demanding one. It's a challenging one. The, the elders you affirmed just a short time ago, really, have inherited a heavy lift. <laughs> and you should know that the elders and I have started praying. Probably what you, you've been praying to. You've been praying to. But I want you to know that the elders and I have, have started praying about what is to come and what should come. What should come for our church? But you, you should also know that the answer right now is we don't know. Uh, there are a couple of things that are yet to be known that will probably become clearer soon that will affect how we can and should go forward. Uh, one is that we don't yet know how well I'll be able to function while undergoing chemotherapy we don't know how that's going to work out uh, and that's going to affect things as how how can I do while while undergoing this therapy I I'm uh, I'm hopeful and as is my oncologist but this is only this is only today is my fourth day since beginning chemotherapy and it hasn't been altogether easy um, but it's very early in that and whatever my availability and not only availability but dependability turns out to be it's certainly going to affect uh, our options and our needs as a church as we go forward the other uncertainty which will also probably become clear clearer is is how well my treatments work against the cancer itself 
um, which seems will absolutely affect the time frame we might have to work in or what we should do but we are praying and you should know this we we are praying for God's provision and God's leading and God's wisdom uh, but we don't know yet what will come or or what should uh, I've also expressed to our elders and I think we're, we're all in agreement on this that whatever it is to be, whatever's to be, whatever's to come, I, I want it to be intentional on our part as a church. Whatever we do, I want to do on purpose. And I want us to, I, I want us to, uh, well, let me put it this way. In other words, what I don't want to do is just go along as best we can for as long as we can without thinking about what what might come or what what might be in the future and and just leave you to imagine whatever you want to imagine or worry about whatever you want to worry about and then just uh you know and wait and just let's let's not think of anything uh anything's going to happen until it does happen and then leave some poor stalwart souls uh you know to figure out what's to be done and hope the last one has a key i don't whatever we do we want to do it on purpose we want it to be honorable we want it to be right we want it to glorify the Lord whatever it is we want it to be uh, we want it to give honor to the Lord of the church and we want to treat this thing like it is so so listen as we're going, you know, we're going through 1 Corinthians, it's almost like a see, well, that's a moot point. You know, what are we doing all this stuff? 1 Corinthians, the church and everything, and our church is in, you know, in such a, uh, a state of uncertainty. Are we just pretending? No, we're not pretending. The teaching and emphasis on the church in these past few weeks and in the weeks to come, it is not moot. And it, and it really shouldn't be even awkward because we're in something of a crisis and something of a state of uncertainty. You know, it may be preparing us and maybe even has been preparing us to be the church, for a, to be the church, you know what I mean? To be the church. Uh, for a trial and a kind of time we've never had to face before as a church. So, so like I say, we don't know. We don't know yet. But something will take shape, and whatever that is, uh, we want it to be right. We want it to be good. We want it to glorify the Lord. We want it to uh, uh, be a credit to the to the name of Christ and His gospel and his work last week we were in 1st Corinthians 3 a passage just like I said that is often individualized and privatized in the minds of many Christians but which really and I'll just go over just a bit I'm not going to re-preach it but it, it really is about the church and not the individual Christians it's about the church and the effect that leaders and teachers have on it I'll just read it again. Once again, we won't spend much time in it. 
1 Corinthians 3.10, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds on it, upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, those who have kind of a, inherited this kind of hyper-individualized, hyper-privatized way of thinking of the Christian life, they see in that passage, here's what people see. I saw it this way basically for years and years. The, uh, the passage says that the foundation of a Christian's life is the gospel of Christ. Your foundation is Jesus Christ himself, your salvation in him. And then we build on that salvation in our lives with various kinds of works, our manner of living, good works, bad works, maybe good works done with ill motive. You know, we build our lives with our, with our works. And the quality of our lives, our Christian lives, will be revealed in God's judgment and they'll be comparable either to gold, silver, precious stones which will receive a reward or our works will be compared to com comparable to wood, hay, or straw which will be exposed by God's judgment as being worthless but nothing, even if you live your whole life and nothing in your whole life is worthy of reward at all it's all wood, it's all hay, it's all straw or stubble even if that were the case you're, you'll still be saved because you don't lose, even in a total loss fire, you don't lose the foundation. The foundation of your salvation in Christ is there. And so that's the basic interpretation that so many people take of that passage. What's missing from that interpretation is what the passage is actually about, which is the church. Church has not, church, I didn't even mention church in that, in that, in that uh, interpretation that so many Christians have. But that's what the passage is about. In the context, Jesus Christ is the foundation, not of your individual life, although he is. It's just not what the passage is talking about. It's the foundation of the church. He isn't talking about an individual Christian's life. He's talking about people like Apollos and Cephas have built on the foundation that Paul laid as an apostle in the quality of their ministries in the church. He said in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, For we, and who's the we? Paul and Apollos he's talking about. We are God's fellow workers. You, and I pointed out last week, I'll do it again. It's plural. It's y'all. It's y'all. That's the Greek. Y'all together. It's not even you-ins, you know. It's y'all together. Y'all together. You believers in Corinth, you are God's field. You together are God's building. In 3.16 he says, do you not know that you... And you know what the Greek is? Do you not know that y'all, do you not know that y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in y'all together? He's not talking about God's spirit dwell, even though he does. Every Christian is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. If you're not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're no Christian at all. 
But he's not talking about that. He's talking about the way the Spirit dwells in the church, in this temple. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy. And what's the next word you think? Y'all are that temple. Now there's just a hint, just a hint in 1 Corinthians 3 that what Paul is talking about includes more as the workers will be judged. There's just a hint that what he's talking about is talking about people more than Apollos, more than Paul, you know, more than, than Cephas, more than Christian leaders, more than people who would be up front here in front of the church, more than that. There's just a hint of it. And the hint of it is in the second half of verse 10 of chapter 3. It says, let each... That's just a hint. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Let each one. Just a hint that maybe there's more than Paul, more than Apollos, more than Cephas, you know, and other workers like that included. The implication seems to be let each take care how he builds upon it, how she builds upon it, because everybody brings something to it. And the quality of each person's contribution will be judged. What he hints at in chapter 3 becomes absolutely straightforward. Chapter 12, and I'm skipping to there. for that. Uh, we might go back and we're going to look back at other portions. But I want you to see the connection. Because what he hints at in 3, it's be crystal clear in chapter 12. From chapter 12, I'll read... Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Holy Spirit ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one says no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now let me let me say there. Thank you for putting up. Don't the two and three verses two and three. Don't they seem strange? in the don't they seem a little misplaced first he's talking about verse one he said i'm going to talk to you about spiritual gifts i don't want you to be uninformed about spiritual gifts and then he says when you were pagans you were led astray however you were led but no one can you know no no one speaking the spirit says jesus is cursed no one can say jesus lord except in the holy spirit what's what's that have to do with spiritual gifts what you know what <laughs> what spiritual gifts are those yeah you, you, you have to remember the historical context of the church at Corinth and, and you know this if you've read it a few times they were champs at deciding who was better they they were experts at deciding where everybody fit in the pecking order right even even this thing of divisions they were which teachers were best and which followers were best because they followed the best teachers you know, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, or ways to say, I'm better than you. I've got it better than you do. Uh, they were, they, and, they, and when he's talking about spiritual gifts, they were experts on who, who really were the spiritual people. Who were really the spiritual people? Who had the best gifts? You know, there were some, and when you read between the lines of 1 Corinthians, you know, you, you say there were some who were, who were sure that they were the most spiritual because of the spectacular nature of their gift or gifts. 
They knew they had the best one. They knew where they were the they were the best. And there were others who apparently are so kind of browbeaten by the environment in the church that they were certain that they didn't even count as part of the body because their gift was not no no great no great thing. They weren't even a part of the body. They didn't even count. And so before launching into this topic of spiritual gifts, which he's already introduced, here's another reminder. We saw it in chapter 1 as well, that if you can say, this is what he's saying. If Listen, no, stop with all the categories. Stop with all the pecking order. If you can say from your heart, and you mean it, Jesus is Lord, you're in. You've been changed. You couldn't say that except by the Holy Spirit. If he, you, you know, if you hadn't, if you weren't spiritual, you wouldn't have come to this point. You wouldn't say that. Why do you believe that Jesus is your Lord? Because God has changed you. He saved you. He's enlightened you. Your mind, your heart have been—it's been quickened to this. So you said, and nobody. If you deny Christ, yeah, it doesn't matter what kind of gift you think you have. Nothing else matters. So he said, so, so that's what he's saying there before he launches into this discussion of the gifts. Verse 4, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of, you see what he's doing? He's this, listen, stop with this, stop with this, uh, who's better than who? There are varieties of gifts, same spirit. Varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Wow, look at that last two words. In everyone. Not just Apollos, not just Paul, not just Cephas, not just others like that. In everyone. And I want you to, everyone's included. And also look, look, at, look at this. Gifts are also called services, are also called activities. Well, it sounds like work, doesn't it? <laughs> it sounds like volunteering. Gifts doesn't, but services and activities do. Verse 7, to, there it is again, to each to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. There's a pretty good definition of a spiritual gift right there. A manifestation of the Holy Spirit intended for the common good. Common good in what? The church. And, of course, it also says that each Christian has one or more, doesn't it? For to one, well, here I've said, and the Bible says, each one is given. Now we're going to read a list say, well, I didn't read my, so I didn't see me in there yet. Right? But let's read it. Verse 8, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, 
to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one, there's each again, individually as he wills. Now, if you're feeling left out, except for, you know, the faith, you know, you know I hope you have faith, but spiritual gift of faith might be something else or something more. But if you're feeling out, left out, the end of the chapter includes more gifts. Verse 28. And God is appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing. Here you go. Helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. There are other lists in the New Testament. In Romans 12, there's a list, and it adds, to addition to the ones we've already had, gift of exhortation, gift of giving, gift of mercy, or gift of showing mercy. In Ephesians 4, there's another list it lists, that's not in these lists. Gift of evangelism, gift of pastoring. And I think in 1 Peter 4, we see a gift of hospitality as well. Is it the way it's wording? You know, Some people might consider it a spiritual gift, others not but a gift of hospitality. So what are we to make? What are we to make of the fact that none of those scriptural lists are complete and none of them appear in every list? None of them. In other words, every single list we have in scripture is a partial list in some way or another. I think we can take from that that the apostles' concern is not to name every possible gift in any of the lists, as if he even could. First Peter 4, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Uh, the New American Standard here says, God's manifold grace. Multifaceted grace. So how many ways can the grace of God manifest itself? How many different ways can uh, the grace of God manifest itself, work through somebody how many ways can the spirit of god do his work lots of ways now there's the way you count them you can count up this list and uh, you, you can count up 18 or you can count up 19 or you can count up 20 you know there's some overlap and there's some question about it but you can count 18 19 20 spiritual gifts named in the new testament are there 20 ways the grace of god can manifest itself through somebody 20 and only 20? It's manifold. It's multifaceted. You know, even that well-known fruit of the Spirit passage, you know the one, Galatians 5, is not an exhaustive list, and I can prove it. Here it is. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. Sounds to me like there could be others. Can the Holy Spirit bear fruit in your life that's not on the list? You know, peace, all that. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, etc. Can he give you wisdom? How about, can he give you wisdom that you didn't have before? Can, how about a love? And you've seen this in people. Have you seen people just get a love? Where'd they get it? Love for God's truth. A thirst for God's word. You ever seen that? 
I don't think it's in the list. How about courage in the face of persecution? We've, we've seen it. We've seen it. We've read about it. Just someone just said like a supernatural. How do they do that? How do they bear up under that? It's from God's Spirit. How about a capacity for forgiveness that you didn't know you had because you didn't? Why, why should the fruit of the Spirit be any less varied than the deeds of the flesh? And you know the list of the deeds of the flesh? Longer list, but it's not complete either. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is also Galatians 5. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, there are more. How many ways are there to be wicked? We invent new ones all the time. <laughs> Romans 1, inventors of evil. Or is it Romans 1, Romans 1 or 2? Inventors of evil, maybe even 3. Inventors of evil. So because there are 18 or 19 or whatever you want to count, gifts of the Holy Spirit named in Scripture, it doesn't mean that there are only 18 or 19. You've got to look at the list and figure out which one, since you know you have one. It's got to be in the list somewhere. I've got to find it. The gifts are limited only by God's limits and by the limits of His grace. His grace that superabounds when sin abounds. In other words, there are no limits on the way God's grace can work through people He's enabled. I've been told, and over the years I've had reason to believe, that I have a gift, a spiritual gift, for helping people and sometimes helping couples and sometimes helping the church navigate through overwhelm, apparently overwhelmingly difficult circumstances. That gift isn't in the list. It isn't in the list as far as I can see. John Frazier, with the Lord now, he gave it a name. He said, I have a gift for the horrible situation. <laughs> I said, thanks. But if I do, and like I said, I've seen evidence. I think, well, I think it's so. Helping occasionally, sometimes. Helping a couple see their way through long periods of time when a good day can be described as a day when nobody contacts an attorney and see your way through when there doesn't seem to be a way through well if that if i have that gift you know what i might be in my wheelhouse right now <laughs> to help us in the present distress the point is you don't have to be you don't have to compile the list of 18 19 20 and find the one that might fit you you just have to be a part to be a part of is what i mean you just have to contribute you just have to engage yourself 
in the life and ministry of the church and you will find that God uses you in some situations and in some ways that not everybody can do. That's a gift. Don't worry about categorizing it. And don't worry much about trying to identify it with one of the one of the that's one of the gifts that's mentioned in the letters. But this is what I wanted to get to today, and this is what I'll end with. Who is the gift for? Who is it for? We normally think of a gift as something for ourselves. Gift, I mean it's a gift. It's for you, a gift. Right? That's how we would normally think of, of a gift. But just think of how these gifts have been characterized in the 1 Corinthians 12, what I've read, and some of the other passages that I've cited. In 1 Corinthians 12, I already pointed this out. They're called, the gifts are called services, and they're called activities. And like I said, it sounds suspiciously like work. It sounds suspiciously like getting involved. It sounds suspiciously like volunteering. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the gifts are called manifestations of, of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. It's a gift for you, but it sounds like it's a gift for others, doesn't it? You know, it's, you know, it's a gift for you, but it's, it's, it's a gift of a toolbox. It's not an Xbox, you know? It's not a fishing. It's not a gift like a fishing pole. It's a gift like a shovel. You say suspicious sometimes when you get a gift. Say, wait a minute, is this for me? Is this for something for me to do? <laughs> First Peter four says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Whoa, stewards, you know that word if you've been in church a while. Stewards of God's very varied grace. So my gifts, such as they are, are for serving others. And yours are too. And you know what a stewardship is. A stewardship is something that's been entrusted to you, something that belongs to someone else, in this case God, entrusts something to you, and you're held responsible for managing it, for using it, then you'll be and you'll be assessed at a later date and have to return back to back to the owner of this, you know, you have to give a report. You're a manager of it. And what are we a manager of here? In the gifts, whatever gift we have, what are we a manager of? God's varied grace. So at some point, in other words, a gift is something through which God sheds His grace. Gift of mercy. You know, we're all supposed to be merciful. Some people have a gift. Oh my goodness, it's like the grace of God came in the room when they come in the hospital room. Someone with the gift of mercy. Some of the gift of hospitality makes you... We're all supposed to be hospitable. But some people have a gift and it's like you're home and you're at their house. So at some point, each of us is going to give an account to God. If it's a stewardship, it's like how did you use that spigot of, from, through which my grace would flow? Did you turn it on some? <laughs> 
Did you do it? Because God, had, you know, the spigot is God's, but we, we have the handle. So are, are you getting the idea that the gift isn't so much for the one given the gift as it is for the church? Again, the church. Ephesians 4.11, and it lists gifts this way, a little bit differently. But see if you notice the difference. And he gave, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. You see the difference? He didn't give a gift of apostleship to Paul. He didn't give the gift of prophecy to somebody. He gave the gift of evangelism to a Philip or somebody. He gave, they're the, they're the men themselves. The people themselves are the gift. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of what? The body of Christ. So they're the people themselves. The gifted people themselves are the gifts. So in a way, the gift or gifts that you have make you a gift to the church. So I have some gifts, I have some enablements, I have some ways that I have seen God use me for good in ways that not everybody could do. Not, not everybody. But those gifts are given to me, but they're not for me. And, you know, I, just a minute or so left, I'll just say this, almost in an aside, but I think it's important. I didn't discover those gifts by doing things I enjoy. You know, someday you take the spiritual gift inventories and things. What's my spiritual gift? I want to know. One of the first questions I ask, well, what do you like to do? What do you enjoy? Not one time did I ever say, I enjoy horrible situations. I enjoy spending two hours talking to two people that are married to each other but hate each other <laughs> for the moment. You know, I've enjoyed, I have, I've taken satisfaction in seeing, I've taken great satisfaction in getting through that. I've even taken great satisfaction in hanging in there. But it never was fun. Paul had a Paul has a, had a great apostolic gift, wouldn't you say? I mean, we didn't study it, but, you know, the gifts are given to degrees. They're greater and lesser. You can be stronger or weaker in them. You know, they're not. Some people have a great gift. Some of them are more modest. But Paul is an apostle. What an apostle, right? Read the New Testament and, and figure out where he's enjoying it and where he's not enjoying it. And you find both. Or don't you? He's got joy, 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 joy deep in his heart lots of times as an apostle. And he also has misery, 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 <laughs> care, worry, sleepless nights, you know, shipwreck. He, there's a lot of it that's because he's an apostle. He's, it's not fun. So, so it's, uh, it is, it's not what you enjoy. It's how God uses you. It's how you find that you're, you're, 
that God's grace comes through in something you do, in a way that you relate, in a way that you can talk with people, in, in, in ways that not everybody can do. And that's a gift from God to you, but more to, more to what? The church. His gifts are gifts to each of us, but mine are gifts to you, and so are yours. You know, at, at this point, it would be good to have like a, you know, a new services opportunity thing at the back, and how you know this would be the point. You know, you go the close. You know, go for the close. And, you know, get people to get a fully staffed in the nursery. Boy, praise the Lord. Wouldn't that be great? You know, staffed in the nursery. We got people, you know, wanting to teach children's church and Sunday school classes and all, whatever we have. Uh, we don't have that now. But listen, listen. We will. <laughs> And it might not be the convention, like nothing's going on unusual like there is now with us. And it might not be just the, you know, conventional sign up for this and sign up for that. Let's kind of boost up our volunteers. But there will be places, and there will be times, and it'll be obvious if you're of a mind to use your gift to be the church, to be the church together in this place no matter what no matter what comes this can be and probably should be uh, our finest hour uh, Lord help us to be the church together especially as we go through a challenging time certainly challenging to us may your grace flow through the gifts and enablements you've given to each one, unobstructed, unhindered, for the common good, for the benefit and blessing of others. May each of us prove good stewards of your manifold grace. Enlarge our faith that we might fully put ourselves in your hands to do your work and cause saving faith to spring up in anyone who remains outside of Christ and without hope beyond this life and this world that they would be saved from sin and death, that you would be glorified, and that our joy would be made full. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.